Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins. I'm here with... Jason Hillerman. I'm here, yeah. <laughs> We're here. It's the two of us. We're having a conversation catch-up. It's been a minute. And it's so good to see you and hear you back on the podcast. I missed you, Jason. I missed you too. It's amazing to have you back. And I know we're going to lose you in a week to go shoot a feature film, which we're all very excited about. So, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, we talked about last week on the podcast, the writing process of it with your, your, your friends and now my friends, Matt and Eric, whose film Wine Club is now officially announced. I was feeling so energized from that conversation. But before we dig into the nitty gritty of being a couple days out now from <laughs> actual production, which sounds like unreal that I'm even saying it, let's talk about the strike and where we're at. It is September 9th is when this episode is coming out. We're recording it on September 4th, 2023. And, happy Labor Day. Uh, happy Labor, Labor Day. We're working on Labor Day. That's exactly. what does that yeah. say about the state of the world? That we're happy to be here, honestly. Yeah, truly. We would have this conversation no matter what. So just audio yeah. recording, it's not a big deal for me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The strike is in such an interesting position because I think, honestly, it, it feels so fortuitous it's Labor Day. There's a lot of conflicting reports out there, so I thought I'd just break it down for the listeners in a really easy way. The writers of the WGA and the AMPTP got back together and started talking in early August. Basically, the AMPTP put forward an idea of like, hey, you guys should settle for this. We came back with a counter. They came back with something. Then we came back with a counter. So where we are at right now is as of August 15th, so over two weeks ago, the writers have sent a counter to the MPTP. And instead of actually negotiating, what happened was they walked away from the table, the MPTP, and we haven't heard from them since. They released their idea of what a fair deal would be in the trades and thought it would put pressure on writers to settle. But there was a lot of backlash online, a lot of backlash socially, and just in talking to people on the lines, you know, it was an agreement that didn't really take care of AI. The language was really loose and didn't have enough definitions. It didn't take care of a staffing minimum. It sort of left things up to the showrunners, which is a big conversation online. Like, why shouldn't the showrunners be the people who are the ultimate decider? Well, hmm. I think it sounds like a really good idea in theory, except when you really think about it, right? So, Gigi, if you were the showrunner of a TV show, and I said, Gigi, you have $100,000 to make this TV show. You can hire as many writers as you want, but also that $100,000 has a stretch over to production you suddenly are going to hire the fewest amount of writers yeah. and then to use the rest of the money. So the, the idea there is having that set idea for showrunners to pick, it, it provides the studios with enough leverage, especially for newer showrunners to say, hey, don't you want this money for your show? Why would you hire more writers when we could be using it for production or VFX or whatever? And I think it puts in kind of an undue burden on a showrunner who might then try to take on more or work people harder because they need the money to stretch further. So that was another big thing. And then there was nothing in it for feature writers. So feature writers for these negotiations were looking for things like weekly pay instead of just waiting six to eight months yeah. to get a paycheck or, you know, or some other different provisions. There was no added benefits for feature writers. So 
where we're at is kind of a standstill. Like I said, the WGA set, sent the AMPTP a, a counteroffer on August 15th. The AMPTP hasn't come back to the table or talked to them since then. So and the real issue is like, you don't want to negotiate with yourself, right? I don't think anybody yeah. out there wants to, con- you know, everybody sort of understands you can't keep adjusting your offer until someone says yes. You know, it's supposed to be a back and forth game. So we're really just waiting to see where this is going to go. You know, I've heard reports all over of people talking or back channel conversations. And, you know, I'll remind people that a lot of it is just chatter. Um, yeah. Some of it is, most of it or most of the time, you know, what's happening behind the scenes is something we're not going to be privy to that's not going to make it to the headlines. So people are always looking for something to print. Right now, we're at a bit of a standstill. It, it sucks on Labor Day to be sitting here not knowing where we're going back. But the right. nice thing about something like this is the CEOs have the control, right? If they wanted to take this offer and they want to end the strike, they could come back tomorrow and we can get things going. You know, we could get a deal that we could ratify and vote on and get back to work. So I'm yeah. hoping that by the time this airs, they're talking again. Maybe that's something that comes out of this weekend and and we'll kind of go from there. But yeah, right now that's that. And that doesn't even cover the SAG portion, which they still yeah. have not come back to the table to talk to SAG. So, you know, that'll be interesting to cover as we move forward. How fast could they go? Will SAG be able to draft off any of the WGA points? Will they stop talking to WGA and go back to SAG? You know, like these are all right. the big questions that are raining down right now. And we're finding out in real time what the answers are. I, I, I think that you bring up two points about the the things that we're looking for more of that come back to an idea that was summarized really well in the Up First Sunday story, which is the NPR daily news show. And there is a piece about the way we think about work. And one of the things that the guest that they were interviewing, who's a poet and wrote a book about rethinking like our approach to work, he basically was speaking about this idea of work being a religion we are we worship our our work and i think that's even more so or in this film industry where one we're told that like this is like the dream dream factory but two we're also told that like it's a privilege to be able to do this work yep. which yes that's it, it is in a lot of ways to be able to tell st- stories but it is still a job and i think that we need to remember how important it is to be able to have a sustainable life when you are doing any job. And that should be a priority. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be something that you're sort of pushed aside. Well, you get to be a showrunner so you can take on this other thing. Exactly. If you've ever talked to a showrunner, it is an incredibly difficult job. You are, you know, running, running everything and to add one more sort of pressure point. It's not fair to the people in those positions. And so I think that it's, you know, and, and then going to, back to your point about like wanting feature writers wanting to be paid weekly, like that is not a out of the, it's not a crazy ask. I think exactly. that's a fair yeah. ask. And, and I think that like normalizing sustainable ways of working is really important for us to do at every stage. And we've talked a lot about doing this as an indie filmmaker. And, and I think that, if we are if we're normalizing these like unhealthy ways of working and this work life balance that you know is distorted by the glamour of hollywood at the indie level and at the emerging filmmaker level and at the film school level then of course it will carry over into this these more corporate studio spaces uh, and so i think educating yourself and having conversations with your team and your and people that you work with always about how to be working smart and how to be working in a way that allows people to be humans, bringing the humanity back to it all. I think it, it happens at every level. So I'm so glad that you highlighted that. Yeah, I think the myth of the starving artist or the paradigm of starving artist, it's very fun. It's something we've heard before and, it, you know, you whatever bleed for your work, but at a certain point in a certain level, it's like, that's done. You should be able to it's put... It's not sexy. Like, exactly. we don't yeah, like it. Be, yeah. We don't yeah, like put wondering where our food is going to come from. Exactly. Like, yeah. You know, we, we, I, I think that it is a myth. You know, there's also this like glorification of like drinking while making art. Like that isn't, <laughs> doesn't need to be a thing. Like, so we should be questioning these norms. Yeah, exactly. I think working the way that works best for us, but also just finding a way where you can have like, you know, the nuclear family, if that's what you want or whatever, like under the guy, you know, under the paychecks of, you know, working in, thriving in Hollywood. You know, again, it's like not, not everybody wants to be a millionaire, right? Like 
There's certain people out here who are very, you know, driven that way. But a lot of it is just how do I have the basic necessities and do this? How do I put my kids into school? How do I, you know, make a Costco run every two weeks and make it count? You know, how do I not go into massive credit card debt being out here? And I think yeah. with rising rents, with everything, you know, the affordability of Los Angeles and, and all that, you know, it's finding a way where we can all come together. Because I think the thing that I'll always go back to is with the AMPTP is like these CEOs who are making tens of millions of dollars, you know, they, these aren't worries for them, right? They're, they're not sitting here like, how, you know, the Can price I of, have a kid? Exactly. Yeah. The price of beef at Costco's up, you know, like we're getting turkey again, all, all these sort of limited aspects or just, you know, gas in LA is at $5 a gallon again, you know, it's, it costs $56 to fill up your tank and then, you know, a normal sedan, like this is expensive, but you know, they're taking jets other places. They don't know what's going on. So I, you know, I hope the fervent chatter on the lines and everything like that, I, you know, I hope we're, we're reaching an end and that we're pushing towards something. Cause I do think the change we're trying to enact now will affect generations of writers and directors and, you know, people yeah. and actors and people who are in this industry and it can only help for the better. Right. So that's, that's my goal. And I think on this labor day, you know, we'll raise a fist in the air and <laughs> hope we yeah. reach conclusion soon. Yeah. It's, it's so crazy. Cause I'm like having thoughts for the first, like you're about to go on your honeymoon. You got married yeah. recently. Like, I'm having conversations where I'm like, okay, when would I be able to have a kid and like still have a career? And do I have to like m- jumpstart my career first before that? Like, you know, it's it's like these ticking human just yeah. lifetime pressures are being consult like it's this pressure cooker. And 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 I think that like, yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean, my wife is a fertility nurse in Los Angeles. Shout out Sally. And I think like that's Sally. 99% of her clientele, right, are people who work in film and television who are like, hey, I don't when I don't know when I'll be able to afford this. And I, I think that's kind of terrifying that it's such a, you know, a market here. But also, you know, for me, nice to be able to have that conversation in home with an expert, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for the update on on this front and we will be staying tuned and you've been doing some excellent coverage on the No Film School site as well. So I appreciate you watching out for us. Yeah, always. And as the invitation's always open, Fox, come out to Fox and pick it with me. You know, we've got a really good crew. I have my- Have any uh, listeners come? You know what? We have a listener who's a captain there. Her name is Debbie and she's an, also an amazing writer at her pilot this Shout week. Shout out and to it Debbie. Was so good. So, you know, I see Debbie there every day and we talk all the No Films Will podcast on Thursdays. That's our our afternoon chatter. And, you know, I think picketing is only nine to noon now. So if you have time in the morning, you know, come on out, swing by Fox, swing by Eddie Studio. We'd love to have you. And it's awesome being out there with people going through the same thing. I think if you're going through so much of writing, at least for me, in features is a solitary endeavor. So being out there in solidarity with yeah. I don't know. You're never going to find anything better. It's kind of that communal. The only other feeling you get is on a film set, right? Wow. Yeah. 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 Should we use this to transition? Into yeah, segue away. Con- yeah. Someone's going to a film set soon. Yeah. Yeah. I, so for our, our listeners, I'm, I'm not really posting about it because I want to protect the sort of like nature of this project. It's a ultra low budget indie film, like the most independent. <laughs> you can get. And we're shooting in Panama. The way it came to be was I had access to this place in Panama on an island in Panama and for one time only. And it's this fall during the dry season, during the non-tourist season. And then we lose access to the location forever. And I looked around and I think I talked to you, Jason. I'm like, would this be crazy? And I like looked to my producer, L. Roth Brunette, and I was like, would you want to make something? And then I looked to my DP, Ryan Thomas. I was, would you want to make something? And then I looked to my two actors who are the leads of, of the short Yes Daddy that's like yeah. just sort of done its festival run. Festival Madison Lancey and Scott yeah, exactly. Monahan. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We got, we went to salute your shorts and got an honorable mention. It was my first like accolade like that. And yeah. it's so nice, especially because this is a short that like I had two people say it doesn't work and you have to cut the first half. And I was like, I think it, I think you don't get it. And I'm going to listen to my gut and I'm going to listen to my, the, you know, the woman who wrote it, Madison Lannessy also acted in it. I'm going to listen to her gut. I'm going to follow my mantra of make something, 
that my friend Charlotte Laffler, who doesn't work in the industry, will enjoy. She loves indie film and make something that will make my dad cringe. And, yeah. and it worked. Oh my God. It's called Yes, Daddy. I mean, I had to show it to him on Christmas when we got into the Mammoth Festival. He's like, what, what short? And I was like, turn my laptop around. And I'm like, just, I didn't write it. And I pressed play yeah. and ran away. <laughs> oh, dad, great. It's an homage to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Larry Hawkins, shout out to you for being a champ. He laughed, he laughed. Sure. So I was like, I, Madison, Scott, like, would you want to do this thing? Like, take a big leap with me onto this truly indie experiment. It's an experiment because I hadn't written the script and I was like, okay, taking Charles's advice, sticking a flag in the ground. We're just going to go out there and make this thing. And then I wrote something knowing that it would be starring Madison and Scott. And you saw some very early drafts of that, Jason. Yeah. The earliest drafts. Yeah. The earliest drafts way back in the day. And and I think also knowing that it was just like, we're just going to go and make something. Yeah. Like without any, any support. Like we're, it's, you know, we're raising money from family and friends and I'm paying for it and putting things on my credit card and getting those points. Yeah. But I'm kind of like, well, there's such like so few opportunities like this present themselves yeah. to make something. So it feels like this experiment in a way. And I'm treating it mentally like it's my grad, my life grad school yeah. thesis, my no Absolutely. film school thesis. I'm four years out of leaving my corporate career. So the timing makes sense. And then I wrote this little thing and I... Love it. Like I wrote a couple drafts yeah. of it, yeah. but I love it. And I love how it's like the first draft of it. We did a little table read and I was like, oh my, yikes. Yeah. This is like a weird broad comedy, which is so not me. And it has evolved into this like subtle sort of like in the vein of like a bigger splash, the white Lotus. We keep coming back to force majeure, which is like, I mean, I'm yeah. putting out really big names, but this is a baby, baby movie, but I'm learning so much and I'm in the trenches and I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm sometimes like, oh, I need to respond to this email. And I'm figuring out how to cast. Like all of these things are happening and I'm in the trenches. So what we were thinking today is maybe we go through a no film school production checklist. Oh my gosh. You want to go through it? So we have a no film school production yeah. checklist for directors. And there are three little checklists, a pre-production, a production checklist, and a post-production checklist. So we, we can probably leave the post off. But I want to go through the pre-pro and the production with you just to see what you, if you're doing, you know, how you're doing things. And Will I get a grade? Check. You know what? You've got an A in my book. I've already read the script. So, you know, I think you're, you're probably pretty well off. But let's go through some of this stuff. Okay. Um, and to our yeah. listeners, I swear I haven't seen this list. <laughs> and there may be answers where I'm like, I think my producer's handling that. But yeah, this course. is for directors. I mean, so... Yeah. I mean, the Let's first thing on, in, on this list is casting, which, you know, we kind of went through. But other than your two stars who you knew, how did you dive into casting the other roles? So there are two other characters that were in the process of casting. One is in the story, this couple, they're on their delayed honeymoon about a year into their marriage. And he's sort of this like golden boy people pleaser. And she is starting to really become worn down by how much the world loves him. And in a sort of like attempt to revive things with their relationship, they agree to have a menage a trois with the person who is the rental host or sort of hosting their rental house on this island in Panama. So that third is somebody that we're still casting. Gotcha. And, and they have to work within the person. And we've been, and and we've also been auditioning people through casting network, but because we're still, so we're still figuring that out. And there are people who I'm like, oh, could be this person, could be this person, but like, I want to see more. Because it's such a specific role, it's been hard to get a volume of people. And then there's yeah. another character, this woman who lives on the island, who's an expat, who ended up there because she got voted off first on a Survivor-like show and then got kind of like stuck in this expat backpacking yeah. world. And, and what's interesting about that is we had a ton of amazing people come in and I'm like, there are so many options, but I can't cast this character until I cast the other character because I'm right. casting off of that person. Yeah. So casting networks was how I ran it. The system was a little bit clunky at times and I had to like email people to fill do chemistry reads because I couldn't send all the details yeah. and send updated slides. 
Also, you know, we're all wearing so many hats, so it's probably in there, but I couldn't find it in the source article. And then we're doing some like proactive recruiting. So that's how we're going about casting. (laughs) Friends, family, internet, hustling, hustling. Yeah, so much of it, I think, is is that hustle. But also like chemistry is maybe the most underrated part of this because with an indie, you're going to want to leave the cameras rolling so much just to get these moments and get people feeling whatever it's you know, if they don't have that chemistry, they're going to they're going to be wooden the whole time. You know, you yeah. it's, it's almost like you have to relax them. And also, hopefully, they're relaxed with each other enough to pull off such an intimate story as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and Madison and Scott, they have that chemistry. Right. That makes me laugh. I laugh a lot <laughs> around them. That's the, the, the danger is me laughing during takes. So I have to, like, really get in the zone. Yeah, you got to muffle. Okay, so uh, do, I, been, do I get that point? You get that point. We kind of went over locations, but like, what about location scouting? Like, have you, have you been to this place in Panama? How are you handling that? I've been there a couple times when I was in middle school. Right. Uh, I think half my life ago. And so we are, we know the locations we want to shoot in and we know the house that we're shooting in, but we have, somebody went down on the island and recorded videos looking at all the locations. So we've been using that with storyboarding and shot listing with our DP to basically put together our shot list and create overheads so we can see where we're putting the camera, where the actors are being blocked. But, you know, what if it rains? One of the places in Panama that I thought we were going to shoot at, I learned burnt down, then fell down. And, and, and then of course, you know, we're going to this backpacking town where somebody sent a video of like a bar on a Friday, like during the day. And it had hundreds of people partying there. (laughs) So there's like these unknown things and these unknown, unknown factors. And like, we know we're getting 10 minutes of thunderstorms at least once a day, but we're going during the dry season. So like, that's intentional. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you could, like I said, like you could roll through those thunderstorms, people running around, goofing, you know what I mean? Like, yes. Like walking through this town, like any of that B-roll of them just walking past these party goers, stuff like that is going to be, look, it's free, free yeah. extras, right? You know, and, and free scale, right? That's yeah. one of the things we talk about a lot on, I talk a lot, a lot with any indie filmmaker. How do we get scope and scale into this idea where it doesn't, you know, it's not about being confined. So much of your story is about freedom of the human spirit. If I could, you yeah. know, if, I, if I'll, I'll just try with that. But uh, you, know, you kind of want those wide open spaces and the ability, to, the ability to get those giant wide shots or different things or, or a lot of people in frame without it necessarily being about a lot of different things. You know, we have a mantra that is always be filming. Yeah. So we can get those, get those things. And then we also have come up with something called the sloth shot. Like, if we see a sloth in nature, like, without disturbing the sloth, respecting the sloth, like, we have a little bit of time for the sloth to cross the road. Like, do we, do we, like, how how do we pivot so we can get the sloth shot? I think it's one of the most important shots out there, you know? Thank you. Um, you. (laughs) I'll give you the point for that. What about, so you touched a little bit briefly on storyboarding. Now, I know that's like, you know, you and the DP working back and forth. Like for a script like this, is it, you know, will you be really strict with sheer shot lists or is it figure it out or, you know, are you shooting handheld? How, you know, what's, what's happening? Yeah. So we have a very, we're trying to storyboard all the major scenes and, and there are some, because this is a story that's so much about what is not said, like very rarely are the characters actually saying what they're feeling. Where we put the camera is so important. And there are times where like it will feel more stilted and it will be on sticks. Sure. And then there are times where we'll have camera moves. And then we do have these moments where there are handheld shots. And actually when we were at Holly Shorts the other weekend with Yes Daddy, we were watching this short film called Tall, Dark, and Handsome from director... Hold on, I'm looking. Great title. Sam. I know, Tall, Dark, and Handsome from director Sam Barron, I want to say. Okay. Who, ironically, I had seen his first short in this trilogy of shorts when I went to the Austin Film Festival like five years ago and was like, 
didn't know anything. I went there, got a pass, and just watched films. I didn't have any films or anything at all. And then I was like, wait, I know you, and I know this actor. Like, did I meet you at another festival? And I was like, oh, I met you when I was a baby filmmaker. But okay, so Sam Barron, short, tall, dark, and handsome, was had this amazing handheld scene between a couple of fighting. And when it was on the right when the credits hit, I took my hand and I grabbed Ryan's shoulder in a non-invasive way. And I said, the handheld. And we both looked at each other and we're like, the handheld and that. (laughs) Perfect. So we have those moments where we are switching into handheld. But we are are basically doing overheads for every scene. You you letting that help sort of time out the schedule. And I'll caveat that Ryan and I have also, when we were doing a... Channel 101 series, we intentionally didn't storyboard one of the episodes so we could try to yeah. see what it's like because we're going to have to flex. Of course. Yeah. But we're trying our best to have everything plotted out beforehand. Yeah. Um, so we can pivot for the slot shot or when we run out of time, inevitably we simplify a shot. And then we're also being like, okay, this, there's a scene in the sort of the towards the end of Act One where. Mattis and Lannis's character kind of has like a little bit of a break of some sort to the bartender who's serving them breakfast while her husband is next to her, which we're calling the Chevy Chase scene. Yes. Um, Plain trains and and automobiles. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And this is so like, this is like the millennial (laughs) female version of that. And we're like, this is such a performance scene that we don't have to be, do anything fancy with the camera. Let's let the performance unfold. Yeah. So that's how we're we're planning it. We do the overheads and then and then we put that in an app that Ryan built called Glide. It's incredible. And then it ha- he's entering on the back end all of the information that the camera team that his team will need. Great. And the gaffer and the grip like yeah. all of it will be there. So it's just about pulling it off on the that's day. That's awesome. Out. Yeah, I'll say I was just giving a buddy notes on his short a couple weeks ago, I guess maybe a month ago at this point. One thing that he talked about, which I thought was really prescient and, and, you know, information that I wrote down for myself and I'll share with you is uh, the one thing he said, he's like, I wish we had storyboarded more transitions between the Mm. scenes. Because he was like, a lot of times we'll be in the edit and we'll have gotten everything we wanted, but not thought about how it connects to the next thing. Um, And I I thought that was such a smart thing. And he inspired me, honestly, in a couple of different ways. He's like, I just write them now into the script. I'm like, we're going to fade to this. We're going to go into that. Like, so I can feel the vibe. And when I'm watching it in my head, like, you know, I'm I I'm like, OK, this will connect. If it doesn't connect or we have to cut this scene later, I know that we can fade between these other two or, or hard cut or I can, yeah. you know, worst case scenario, like add some transitiony B-roll, whatever. And, and I thought that was like so smart. And honestly, it's something for my latest spec almost in between every major scene. I like wrote in like how we transitioned mostly because felt like it's kind of a vibe spec and also like, oh, yeah, I want to see what this movie looks like in my head. So. There's like a little parting information I'll give you there. That's uh, so good. I just wrote that down and it's interesting. I I I can I edit in my head hard cut jokes. So like a yeah. scene that cuts to another scene, like that's really easy for me. And we have some really funny, like almost horror moments. And you know, I'm like weird yeah. and like horror adjacent always. But I think there are some other smooth finessing transitions that we need to figure out. Or is it like, buttons on scenes like there's a couple of scenes where I'm like and then I know we end in this wide where like he flops down in the sand like because he's just exasperated I mean I love a good match cut could he flop down in the sand and then match cut to flopping in the bed you know yeah how satisfying is that when it happens one other thing that I I want to describe in the process of like getting to storyboarding and prep is that Ryan and I have dis- Ryan discovered this as a DVD set, a Hollywood camera work.com. So they have a couple of different softwares, including like a shot planner, a shot planner, a shot designer. It's an app called gotcha. Shot Designer that we use. And then he also, or this team, and it's a, a man named Pear something that produces these films. And I think he's, I think he's the founder. I apologize if I'm getting that wrong, but they created a course called the master course in high-end blocking and staging. And you can rent it. It's like 
there's, I think, six or seven classes and then you rent, you can rent it for nine bucks a pop. And so Ryan and I watch like five or six of these little videos about blocking and staging and place in camera movement before we do our shot listing. So we're kind of like, like stirring up all this dust from our, you know, early days. And and it, it, jumpstarts our creativity and we're like, oh, like we should be staging them in this S shape and the camera can move this way or we start here and then we end in a close up or, and like, or, you know, we're simply creating multiple different shots within a frame. And so that has been like such a, that is like, has been nourishing for my soul as a filmmaker, watching these all, all, all these, not animatronic, they're, they're computer generated models of animatics. Exactly animatics of how to be thinking about moving the camera. And a lot of these scenes, it's like, I, I will narrativize them in my head. And I'm like, it's amazing how how camera placement can make you feel something. Because I'm looking at this scene and it's just like a blank-faced woman in a red dress and a blank-faced man in a blue shirt. And they move around a desk. And I'm like, oh, shit. This <laughs> drama is real. It changes no context. Everything. Yeah. It changes everything. So the, I highly, highly recommend that as a resource. Yeah. And I'm going to do this. It's part of my process now. Okay. Do I pass that? You pass. You pass that one. Here's the big one I'll say. In pre- oh. How do you schedule a movie like this? Are you doing it by sequence? Are you shooting in order? Like what's the, you know, how do you pick your days? How many days are you shooting? You know, yeah. We are, so we, originally I was like, I want to shoot in order because the actors are going to get more sun exposure and bug bites and it'll like show on screen and that's part of the production value. But then it just didn't make sense because we have to, we have to, we just don't have a budget. We're shooting for 11 days in Panama, five days on, two days off, five days on, two days off, one day, because we want to make sure our crew is rested and our talent is rested. And and so we have sort of done shooting by location. Yeah. So we're we're going to have one day where we're just shooting on the water. If anyone's ever shot it on the water on in like an open boat ocean, I'm open for all advice and tips. We're trying to keep it pretty simple, but like we're we're pretty much block shooting and trying to minimize moves or around the sun. So we don't want to be shooting outside when it's the middle of the day because it doesn't look as good. Yeah. This is the benefit of having a DP who is comes from the world of lighting because he's always thinking about that. And and my we don't have hair and makeup like it's something that I'm tag teaming with the actors and we're going to let them be on natural which I hope like we'll have oil blotters and powder, but I yeah, hope I that get they... as many oil blotters as possible. Yeah. 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 But like, I love, I hope I, they have beautiful skin right now. So I, I like, I hope that's something. And if anyone has any insight, I've never heard of anyone. And I was posting to my Instagram story about like people shooting with their natural skin, but like, I know it's been done before. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been done before. I think it's just like, yeah, you just want to make sure you don't get the shine. And then also like, as many diffusers or whatever you can do, even if it's like the sun and natural, just like to, you know, spread the light Soften out. Soften it. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those are the big things. So like schedule-wise, you're going to shoot a little bit out of order. Do you have like a plan in terms of maintaining the, like how you'll direct these people? Like, hey, you're in this mindset. And then maybe in the afternoon, you're in this one. Yeah, we did with one of the actors, Scott, is who actually was on Anchorage last week. So you're, you've already heard his voice. He is heading to the UK. He's there right now. So we had to do a bunch of rehearsals. So I did all my Scott and Madison rehearsals. And it was interesting to be able to pop in. And we kind of block shot them as if, or we, I filmed them on my, my iPhone, which is something that Ryan says has been so helpful for blocking just oh, to good. see the performances. And we and we ran them in order, but I started to find this thing that was really interesting from a storytelling perspective. I feel like there are twin and triplet scenes. Ooh. So like there are scenes that near each other at different parts of the story. So there's yeah, a scene great. in the very beginning where like she comes down in like he's just worked out and she's and he's getting coffee and she's like, do you want to intermittent fast with me? And he's kind of dancing around saying like, I don't 
want to do it because I work out in the morning, but he's such a people pleaser. And then he's kind of dancing around it and she's like, fine, we'll eat breakfast. And, and so it's their like kind of dance in the kitchen. Then later on, after something happens and information is revealed and I don't want to spoil it, there's another scene in the kitchen where she is getting information and she is put on her heels. And so I'm like, these are twin scenes and how have things changed in their power dynamics right. beforehand? We have three scenes in the bedroom between them, the, the main couple, and it is fascinating to see how different the dynamic is right when they get there, when things are just kind of like off, but they're going through the motions and then how things get ignited at the midpoint in a way between them that is unexpected. And then when something happens at the end and how that is so different. So like, I, I think when I'm talking to the actors on set, I'm going to be reminding them kind of like where this scene is at in the context of like it's twin and triplet scene. And then of course, what happened right before, what information you have, and then what, and usually like leaving out what happens after. (laughs) But it, it is, it's so interesting how like story just permeates at every stage. How will you handle just improv in general. You know, we, we, we touched last week with the Matt and Eric about improv on their set and the script. And, you know, you've worked with these actors before, which I think is gives you an advantage, but just like, where's the level of improv when you get into some of these scenes? And, you know, how, how do you keep them on track considering you're going to have a pretty tight schedule in general anyway? Yeah, such a good question, especially because these actors are such talented improvisers to the point that I like laugh on set because they're so funny But we, in the writing process, I, with Scott and Madison, we did a bunch of improv exercises. I know like Linklater, 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 Linklater did this. And it was really important for me to have the, what they're saying be in their voices. Madison, when you read her voice on, in script form, it's like this transatlantic way of talking. Like the words she says are so bizarre. And you probably read it and you're like, what is this actor voice? Like, what is this character voice? But the way she, it's so true to her. Like, for example, there's a line in Yes, Daddy, which you can watch on my website where he's like, do you like that? And she says, yes, very much so. And I'm like, what is this? Like the 1920s? (laughs) And, and so like, I, I did a lot of improv workshopping where I'm like, okay, this is the scene as I wrote it. Now let's do it where we forget the lines. And, and I incorporated that into the script. I'm also working with Ryan to choose my shots where we know like the unsaid things need to happen. Like we need to see the love for them as actors or like as two characters because, you know, it's not shown so much in the script because I was writing it for a production, but I know that it needs to be there. So we're finding these moments where they come together and like we're letting them improvise. And then with every character or everybody that we auditioned, we also had them do an improv run. Because oh, cool. like, I'm not precious about the the lines, like if it doesn't sound good in the script. We auditioned this woman who is Russian and she was so like, would be such a wild card for casting this role. So not what I expected, but there was something about her that was so kind and earnest and wise <laughs> that I was like, oh, like I, and when she did her improv version of the scene, I was like, oh, this is like amazing. I just want to be like listening and soaking all of this goodness up. So there's an element of, I think, improv within structure. But we, I don't think we can go as, as like mumblecore improv. Like we can't, we can't afford to. The way that we're placing the cameras, like people need to deliver on their, their lines and, and it needs to make sense. Like it needs to make sense for the story. Yeah, I always try to make like a mile marker, especially when I'm meeting with directors, just like, hey, these are the things that probably need to be said out loud, you know, <laughs> like, like, and and with obviously different stories, there are different mile markers, right? Like when, when I did Shovel Buddies, it was, there wasn't that many expositional things. It's just like, you know, kids and it should be vibes and whatever. But like when you're working on different things, like I'm doing this action movie right now, a lot of it is like, hey, some of this matters, you know, the, like yeah. the reason why someone's beating the shit out of someone else matters. It can't just be vibes. The key you is know? in the pocket. And exactly. the audience needs to know yes. the key is in the pocket, the back yeah. pocket. Exactly. So it's it's finding those mile markers. And then honestly, I think a lot of that sometimes makes me a better writer because then I'll sit there and be like, oh, well, what what don't I need? You know, like what can I take out mm-hmm. or what's the the most I can take out? Or could you could you do something with a look or with body language? And, and some of that just winds up being left up to the actors too. So it sounds like you have a pretty good balance there. And I'll say like, 
you know, there's if there's an ever time, it's like run through a scene with like the most amount you could say, the least amount you could say. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what do one where you're really freaking out and you talk as much as you want and do one where you're doing silently. You know, it's like giving uh, letting people stretch out or work out because I, I do think there's always some gold to be mined there, even if it's just a fraction of a take and yeah. you know, back and forth. I may send you this draft after this week to do a mile marker check. Yeah. Because you you generally know how, you know the origins of it and then you haven't seen this like workshop improvised, like taking the improv workshops into it. Sure. And, and so, and then I like am getting, incorporating a couple more notes that are more like, n- nothing is changing in the story. And there's a twist I can't wait to hear your thoughts Ooh. about. But it's like, that fresh take of like gut checking are the mile markers there yeah. for the audience because like it's really tough to see that when you're in the trenches. Are you running single cam or multi-cam or what are you? Single. Single, yeah. So you're really going to have to, you know, it's like capturing lightning in a bottle at times, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, look, this is the right challenge, right? It's like you kind of said where you are at your in your career. It's like, yeah, this is the time to make something, you know, like you yeah. can really you get to a certain point where you can really only learn by doing, you know, you can, you can write the script, you can do whatever, but until you're on set, until you're facing the 10 minute thunderstorm, you really don't know what you're, you know, you, you can't learn anymore from just being on the sidelines, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that I, I feel safe to be talking about it here because I don't know, for some reason, no film school has always been a space where I come to learn. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm at with this whole team, like from every time we've worked together, it's like we're, we're, we're wearing a hat of like curiosity and learning and obviously like doing our best to make the best thing possible. But I'm kind of taking the pressure off of like, I'm making the best film ever. No, I'm making, I'm getting my first rep in and, and the script itself is 72 pages long. We are shooting one scene in LA later on, which like is a whole thing that I'm like starting to wrap my mind around because it takes place on an airplane and we're looking for a standing set and we're looking to figure out how to make that work. And with a very tiny budget, because it is an ultra low budget to the point that I'm like, I laugh and then I'm like, the tears are coming out because I'm like, whoa, (laughs) this is crazy. But I, I feel like protecting it and taking taking the pressure off and like, we're not going to be posting on social media about it until it's done. Sorry, there's a fire truck. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that you? I'll mark it. Yeah, we're not going to be posting on social media about it because I don't want that pressure. I think I think we are going to do a Seed and Spark campaign. We actually decided to hold off on it from last week because we want to do it right. And we yeah. want to figure out, like it was becoming like, this, oh, we'd have to produce this whole thing. So we're going to do it in post. And then we do have fiscal sponsorship through the Gotham, which means that anyone who donates uh, to the production gets a tax write-off, oh. which you can find that buried in my link tree on my Instagram if anyone's interested in supporting. But I think the thing that's most important to me is letting it be a space for learning. And I want to be able to like share the learnings, the mistakes, the things that I'm going through on this podcast with the safe space of you, Jason and Charles, who I know have my back. So hopefully like the listeners can also learn with me. Yeah, I've learned a lot. And I've learned that there's a lot of little softwares that have fees that you just have, that you pay. And then you're like, oh. Yeah, that's filmmaking. It's funny. It's like the democratization of filmmaking. It's, you can shoot something on your iPhone, but really like when you settle down to make something where they really get you is the nickel and diming of these softwares that you have to use at the, you know, yeah. at the end of the day. I feel like that's what you you can get a camera for free. You know what I mean? Like everybody sort of knows somebody who has a camera, does whatever. It's really what, what it boils down to is like, oh, like, why does Adobe cost this much? You know, <laughs> like, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, those are like, that's the big checklist. I mean, the rest of it is just like in production. I think a lot of it we went over, like rehearsing and shot listing and then just like figuring out your time management. I think it sounds like you have a lot of it 
ironed out. So, so much of it is now like doing it and then pivoting if it rains to that shot where they walk out and it's raining and then they look at each other and you hard cut back to their bedroom and the scene takes place there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Smart. Then it's just you writing on your feet. I love it. Yeah, there's Um, always something. I think it's... I remember we we did my first feature, Shovel Buddies, and I was the writer on set with the directors, these two guys named Cyanide who were just lovely and came from the commercial world so they knew how to like work fast and efficiently, but also like had a look and were particular about different things and just the elements of like the, sometimes the best pages you wrote are un, unaccomplishable, you know, on the days yeah. or like the actor that you have for a day doesn't sell the scene the way you want it. So now you're writing a new scene or doing whatever. And I think at the time, it's how do you ju- manage that? It's joy like, and fear, right? It's the fear of first, oh my God, this isn't working. And then it's the joy of when you figure it out. And, and I think, yeah. The first day it happened, it was something small. Like, hey, we can't, this room is going to, this room doesn't work the way the room in your script works. You know, like it's, we don't have enough room, pun intended, in this room to move the camera to get this thing. So like, what's another shot we could do? Or how do you, like, how else do you think someone could enter? And and it's, you know, a brainstorm and time, time off shooting, which can freak you out. But then you get it and you get it in a water, you know, and you're like, okay, great. That made up for the day. Now we kind of roll into this thing. So it's, it's those little solves, but also it's not being afraid. And I'll say like, that was a big lesson I learned in that movie to write new scenes, you know, yeah. like, Hey, this scene isn't going to work anymore. So we should just write a new scene, you know, and, and you could write it on the fly. And, and, and I think if you have good enough actors where you can do with the least amount of dialogue possible, you just need to get one or two things out. It's great. Mm-hmm. Like we got completely boned by this house we were shooting in and shovel buddies and the neighbors were like, you guys are being too loud. So you have to leave. And it just cut our day in half. It was like, okay, we have no transition now. It was supposed to be night out. We, sh- we were shooting at 11 in the morning. The next shot is pitch black. What do we do? And I remember everyone's freaking out. And I sat with Cyanide and we were sitting and eating and talking and bullshitting. And I was like, oh, this is what the characters should do. What if we just hard cut to them eating and talking and bullshitting? And it will wind up being a joke in the movie where it's like, like we have to go now. Like everyone's like, really? And it was supposed to go you know, transition into the night and they're like building stuff, but they, because we didn't have that and house they're anymore. Just like they're just out. literally sitting on the, on the hood of a car. They're eating in and out burgers. One character slaps the burger out of the other bur- character's hand. So it's like, you sort of get this dynamic, like, you know, like they spit in someone's, but like hand it back. Like, it's very funny. We did it in this tracking shot where we just kind of go past them as they get in the car and then watch the car drive away. And it was something we did. I think we wound up shooting it at magic hour in 45 minutes in a parking lot that I'm not sure we 100% had permits for. Oh. It was just like, turn the camera. There's, We decided we weren't going to have any dialogue, so we didn't have to set up sound. So it's just them, all body language stuff, and just like a, hey, you know, like one of those things we knew we could ADR. I Shot it, that. did it, and it wound up being like one of my favorite shots in the movie because it's beautiful. It shows the dynamics. It also it has this sort of element of just like kind of kids being kids, you know, like we're going to do it yeah. this way. And so I think like finding the finding the ability to do that is nice. And, you know, don't be afraid of the new scenes you have to write. And we had to whole, write a whole day of shooting in there too, which is like, we had this cop scene that didn't work out. So we wound up shooting at the 7-Eleven and I had to come up with a scene on the fly for that. But it's like, oh my gosh, those are the scenes that wound up being the t- my two favorite scenes in the movie. And I think just being okay that. with writing those scenes and figuring it out, even if it's something that you're like, oh my God, we just have to shoot in the room because now it's been raining all day, blah, blah, or like whatever it is. Write it in there, you know, give them something to do, have it be fun, you know, kind of get crazy with it but and be okay with that. Cause I think like you can't solve the rain, you know, I can't solve neighbors doing whatever. Like you can't solve the rain. Exactly. Yeah. That, yeah that, if that's not a 60s song, it should be, but it's, yeah, you yeah. Really can't. I mean, you can't solve I was the thinking rain. Missy Elliott, you can't stop the rain. Oh, yeah. Smarter. Yeah. I went all the way back to like the Chandrells, but uh, I Both think things can be true at once. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Hey, look, everyone's sampling anyway. It's all the same, but uh, you know, you can't solve it. So just figure out, write that new scene. I love how character driven the scene, this, the specific scene of them sitting is, it's like, feels like so cinematic. And so like, yeah, exactly. And you're like, you don't get those magic moments as much. And I think like, when I look back at that script, I'm obviously very proud of it, but it's like, Oh, I wish I had written more of those in there. So it's, you know, find a way to do it. Don't be afraid to shoot your own transitions that are fun or doing that. Or like, you know, I think your movie is about speed. Right. Speed doesn't, negate speed doesn't negate quality necessarily like at that stage like you're so entrenched in the story and the characters that like of course you're going to be like what when you let your brain relax because you were eating in that moment then like it came to you 
Like yeah. that, that I think is something I'm trying to embrace in the process as well as like, you know, you can't suffocate the life out of this thing. You have to let it be what it is. Yeah. I think it's always, you know, there's a, like any, leaving the cameras rolling is always smart. And we always hear these stories of these big Hollywood blockbusters where it's like everyone's here part is that time. We're like, oh, we just left the cameras rolling and this happened or we did whatever and this happened. You know, it's like getting those nuanced performances or getting someone who like is breaking and then going back into character. You know, I think these little composition moments are, the gems of what makes cinema yeah. you know, our most visual and our most emotional art form and our most human art form. So I think yeah. it's focusing on that. And if you do that, you can't really fail at that point. You know, like you're you're still telling us a story and you're doing whatever. So, you know, focusing on that should be fun. It's a perfect segue into tomorrow's interview with Kurt Lobb, the editor of BlackBerry. And he speaks a lot about finding the mistakes in the film and building around that, whether it was a camera bump or a character dropping something and to create something like truly beautiful. So I I think that this list, if, to our listeners, you're in for a treat tomorrow. I love that conversation. And I love this conversation. Thank you so much, Jason, for believing in me and this project and being like- You're gonna crush it, yeah. Oh, thank you. I feel I feel very, very loved. Good. Well, send me the script, ready to read it whenever, and, you know, enjoy Panama. I mean, I've never been. Sounds cool. Yeah. I got the worst sunburn of my life there in middle school, so. Yeah, part two. I can't wait to have, you know, beat red, GG bad. Uh, yeah. You're, you're like, are you blushing? And I'm like, right. no, I'm yeah. just burnt as yeah. hell. This is your uh, apocalypse where can, now. Yeah. <laughs> where can people, exactly, where can people follow your work? It's at Jason Hellerman on Twitter, and you can just email me, Jason at No Film School, if you have questions, comments, concerns, and as I said many times, find me on that Fox lot. I'm always there. Sometimes I have the dog. Find me or Debbie. You know, she'll find me. But either way, we're around and happy to be out there. And, you know, we'll keep you updated from the front lines. And hopefully this is all resolved soon. We get back to it. And, you know, we're talking about shooting whatever I was working on next, which hopefully isn't Yay. bumped in the next year. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm at Lost in Graceland. If you're interested in helping out in our project, we're looking for some folks to help with. We need a colorist. We need to post sound people. I'm. Th we haven't even talked about the post checklist, but it's something that is, I'm feeling the pressure. We're looking for a finishing editor. And I'd love to work with some folks from the No Film School family. Yeah, yeah, bring it home, you know? Bring You're out home. there. Well, I think the one bring thing we learned here. from Eric and Matt last week, volunteer for it, you know? If you can do it, do it. I love it. Okay, well, until next week.